You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Dear Lord God, hear our cry for mercy. For you are our hope and our souls wait for you. But now, Lord, make our ears attentive to your voice, that we might hear of your steadfast love. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, death is a reality that we all must face. We're all destined to die, whether young or old, uh, male or female, attractive or smart. But that doesn't mean that death is easy, does it? It's not. It's painful. It conjures up all sorts of emotions. As a Christian, I often feel conflicted about death. I know that we're meant to have hope and that death isn't the final word. Yet when death occurs, I feel overwhelmed by grief and the pain of loss. How are we meant to respond to death? Are we just meant to put on a happy face and keep calm and carry on? What are we meant to say to our friends or our family that are grieving a loss? How do you comfort someone who is grieving? Well, in uh, 2 Samuel, in today's passage, we see David wrestling with the loss of his best friend and the king of his nation. He is overcome by grief and uh, cries out to God in lament, presenting his, his raw emotions to God. And this passage now doesn't It doesn't give us all the answers that we're searching for, but it does show us how David dealt uh, with the pain of losing those who are close to him. And it gives us space to reflect on how we might respond, how we as Christians living on the other side of the cross might respond to death and suffering. It It also gives us a reminder of the transitory nature of life. It reminds us that the things of this world are fleeting and are only temporary. They shouldn't be taken for granted. And we shouldn't put the basis of our hope in the things of this world. But before I get into all of that, let's look at the context of this passage. Who is David and why is he lamenting for Saul and Jonathan? Well, these first books of First and Second Samuel tell the story of Israel's monarchy. First under the kingship of Saul and then under the kingship of David. Up until now, Israel has been on a a very long journey since God called Abraham out of Ur and told him that he would give him a land. He promised him a land. And in these books, we see this journey coming to an end. Those promises finally being fulfilled. Under the rule of their kings, the nation of Israel begins to flourish in the land. And under King Solomon, David's son, Israel reaches dizzying heights becoming the envy of all the other nations. But a monarchy wasn't always God's plan for Israel. But that's what Israel wanted. So they cried out to God for a king so that they might be like all the other nations. And so God relents to their cries and gives them a king that is just like the other nations. And this was a very bad idea. Saul is a horrible king, a terrible king, full of pride and jealousy. 
He continuously disobeys God. Because of this, God sends Samuel to anoint David as his successor, as the next king. And Saul becomes jealous of David, tries to kill him on many occasions. And so David flees Saul's persecution and ends up in this place called Ziklag. And so as we come to this passage now, so far in the story, Saul is the anointed king. He's on the throne. But David has been anointed and we anticipate him being enthroned soon. But in the meanwhile, Saul has been fighting the Philistines in the north and David has been fighting the Amalekites in the south. But as the Amalekite comes and tells us at the start of this chapter, and as we learn from the previous chapter, things don't go so well for Saul. As we read in verse 1, this chapter begins after the death of Saul. How the mighty have fallen. The king that the people had chosen, the most handsome, the, the tallest man in all Israel, the man that they'd put their hope in to win their battles. The king has fallen. How the mighty have fallen. Now, if this was you, and, and certainly if this was me, we would probably be rejoicing. This guy that had been trying to kill us is, is dead, and our time of persecution is over. Our time of distress is over. Ding dong, the witch is dead. But for David, this news is distressing. His best friend and the ruler of his nation have died. David is stricken with grief. But instead of bottling up his emotions and suppressing his pain, David writes a lament to God, a lament for all of Judah to cry out. And David's pain is so great that he pronounces a curse over the place that Saul was slain. He calls the daughters of Israel to weep and to mourn over this great loss. He expresses his love for his fallen friend. David doesn't rejoice over the death of his enemy, but his actions and his feelings towards Saul mirror God's actions towards us, God's feelings towards us. See, we so often uh, make ourselves out to be like David, don't we? We think we're the hero of the story. We see ourselves in Israel's history as the conquering king. But we're more likely to act like Saul. Saul was jealous of David and acted out against him. He pursued him and tried to have him killed. But David only ever responded to Saul with grace and mercy. Even though Saul didn't deserve it. God deals with us in that same way. We are so often jealous of God, wanting what He has. We want power and control over our own lives, over our future. And so time and time again, we rebel against God and we treat Him poorly. We sin against Him. We sin against His rule over our lives. And yet God responds to us with mercy, with grace upon grace. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Time and time again, like the people of Israel, we cry out to God to make us just like the people around us, don't we? Why can't I have the good life? Why can't I have that job that I want, that job that will satisfy me? Why can't I have that vacation 
that car, that house, those children, that family. I want what they have. While we might not express it vocally like that, through our actions, through the things that we do, we turn away from God. Through our envy, our jealousy, our selfishness, we allow Satan to sit in the place that belongs to God alone. We allow him to rule our hearts and our minds, directing our behavior. But the good news is that through the work of the Holy Spirit, we are given new hearts which are, which are ruled by God and which are constantly being renewed so that we no longer seek the things of this world, but we seek the face of Christ. Did you also notice that it takes a death for David to become king? Not his death, but someone else's. But in the same way, it's through death that Jesus becomes king, overthrowing the power of Satan, the prince of this world, and establishing himself as Lord of all. And through his death, we too become kings. Through Jesus' death and resurrection, we are made co-heirs of the kingdom of God, royal priests. When we lay hold of Christ by faith, we become united to him so that what he has, we get also. So that just as Jesus was raised to life and has ascended into heaven, so too we will be raised to life and join him in glory. For all those who have faith in Jesus, death is not the final word. But we will be raised to new life. And because of this, we have hope. We have such a great hope. David had this hope too. He trusted in his Lord and he knew the power of God. He knew that the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. David's hope wasn't in his strength or his ability, but he trusted in God. And we see this played out all throughout the Psalms, but we also saw it uh, expressed clearly last week as David faced Goliath. He said, The Lord who delivered me from the poor of the lion and from the poor of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. For David, though, the sting of death must have felt that much more than what we feel today. Because for him, the hope of the resurrection had not yet been revealed. Sure, he trusted in the power of God. But God had not yet revealed the mystery of his will to David, as he has done for us in Jesus. We know that death has been defeated, and it doesn't have the final word. For through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the first fruits of our resurrection, a foretaste of our future. However, the resurrection doesn't mean that we uh, ignore the pain of death. It doesn't mean that we just sweep our pain and suffering under the rug. What it does mean is that death doesn't have the victory and that we do have hope. And this hope doesn't disappoint us because God is faithful to his promises as he has shown us in the cross of Christ. See, the Christian life isn't a life absent of suffering. For we haven't yet been made perfect and this world is still longing to be set free from its bondage to decay. But the Christian life is one full of hope. It's a life of looking outside of yourselves and looking and seeking your hope in the Lord, trusting that he will overcome evil and set this world right. Hope is not some wishy-washy feeling though. It's simply trusting that God will remain faithful to his promises. 
Hope is nothing else than the expectation of those things which faith has believed to be truly promised by God. Hence, faith believes God to be true. Hope awaits the time when this truth shall be manifested. Faith believes that he is our father. Hope anticipates he will ever show himself to be a father towards us. Faith believes that eternal life has been given to us. Hope anticipates it will be revealed. Faith is a foundation upon which hope rests. Hope nourishes and sustains faith. Last week I finished teaching a series on the gospel and how it changes all of life. It changes everything. And in that class I repeated time and time again how the gospel allows us to be honest with ourselves and with the world, with the world around us. The reason for this is that Jesus' death and resurrection means that our salvation is not based on our performance. We're saved by grace through faith. Our salvation is secure because it comes through a full, perfect and sufficient oblation and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ, our Lord. And this security, knowing that God is in control, that God is working through His Son and by His Holy Spirit to redeem all things, this allows us to let go of our pride, to let go of our ego. It allows us to have a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God. This allows us to be honest with who we are and it allows us to call evil that which it is. We don't need to whitewash history or present ourselves in a favourable light before God. But we can be honest about our failings, about our weaknesses, about our sins. Lament is a byproduct of that honesty, of trusting in God and that He is in control and that He's working for our salvation. And knowing that He is the only one that can do anything for us. He's the only one that can do anything about our miserable condition. We can lament when we are honest about the world and ourselves, when we see that things are not the way they're meant to be. And when we are honest that there is great evil committed every day in our world, but also within our own hearts. Bottling up your emotions, suppressing your emotions, is not a biblical idea. Christians aren't meant to be stoics or unemotional or painless. We don't have to minimize our pain and our suffering. We don't have to suppress our feelings. But we are able to be honest about how we feel and the reality of this world. We can be honest about the pain of death and the loss that we feel. Because death and suffering are bad. And things of this world are not right. And death and loss remind us that the world is not the way that God has made it. Because though God created the world good, it's not currently in that state. And our hope is that one day God will make all things new and set everything right. But until that day, death and loss remind us of the broken relationship we have with God, of our need for Jesus and His return. There is, there is so much evil and brokenness in this world, isn't there, that we need to lament. We need a place for public grief and lament. And when we're honest about our past sins and the atrocities that have happened, for as long as I'm at the Advent, as long as I stand in this pulpit, I'm going to call you to turn away from the evil of this world. 
evils such as racism, sexism and violence, just to name a few. But we need to be honest about ourselves, our world and our city, about the sins of our past, but also about the sins of our present. And we should lament that we allow evil to continue at all. But if I'm totally honest, then I can't just point the finger at you guys because I'm part of the problem. I'm, I'm a contributing factor to the evil of this world and I'm deeply sorry. It, it really saddens me that that is the case. But we need to also grieve the way that we treat all people, women, children, strangers. No one should have to live in fear in this world and yet far too often that is the case. But let's not be proud and haughty like Saul, but in humility like David, be honest about our weaknesses, relying solely on God's strength. Like David, we should lament for those who have suffered at the hands of evil. We should grieve the brokenness of this world in all its manifestations. But the good news is that we don't have to wallow in despair. For hope is not lost. Though it might have felt like that for Israel as their king lay slain on Mount Gilboa, we know that there is future hope and future glory. But for Israel, the king that they wanted, that they'd put all their trust in, he is dead. How the mighty have fallen. The glory of Israel has been put to shame. So Israel's history and David's lament remind us not to put our hope in the things of this world in charismatic leaders, in political parties, in money, in possessions. They remind us to not get into bed with that which is temporary and fleeting, with that which is perishing. I wonder what you're putting your hope in. What are you hoping will make life bearable, will make life just okay? There's no guarantee in this life that you'll be safe and happy, for sin corrupts everything. You can't run away from the sin and evil of this world. Believe me, I've tried to do that. It doesn't work. As Christians, we're not called to separate ourselves out from this world as though we could make some kind of, kind of Christian utopia free from the evil of this world. But we're called to display God's glory to this world, to witness to the gospel through our lips and in our lives, telling the world that there is hope for a better life, an everlasting life where the hungry are fed, the thirsty are satisfied, where there's no more pain and suffering, where every tear is wiped away and when we will finally dwell in peace and safety with our God. But until that time comes, we patiently wait in hope and by faith, knowing that our God is faithful until the end, as he has proven himself to be in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, you have made this world good, but because of our sin, because of our wickedness, it is not that way right now. So we cry out to you in pain and with great grief. Father, there is so much injustice and suffering in this world which brings us great sorrow. We lament over the sins of our past, of our present and of our future. We are sorry for the times that we have perpetuated any sort of evil. Father, we are sorry. Please, Father, forgive us. Please show us where we are blind to the injustices of this world. Please put an end to it. Please make this church 
and our lives a beacon of light to the world, witnessing to this city the good news of the hope of the resurrection. Please help us to love our neighbours as ourselves, as you have loved us through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. It's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.